Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, taking you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. I'm Ilana Zaray, a financial reporter with Activist Insight. And this month, we're asking, can Blue Mountain rescue something for equity holders from Pacific Gas and Electric's bankruptcy? Will a pending court case and poorly structured business model lower Qualcomm's $65 billion valuation? What's happening with Value Act Capital now that Mason Morfitt took the helm? But first, a look at the personnel moves within the shareholder activism advisory space. Our cover story features all the new firms and senior hires within the community. A new year has begun, and with it, new faces emerged in the shareholder advisory space. Banks, law firms, public relations consultancies, and proxy solicitors all revamped their teams in preparation for 2019. Here at Activist Insight, our team of journalists spoke to each advisor, learning about his or her transition process, new responsibilities, and plans for the future. Joining us today is Activist Insight Editor-in-Chief Josh Black, here to explain what the new firms, teams, and roles tell us about the direction shareholder activism is headed. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the show. For this piece, we spoke to a handful of advisors who joined different activism defense practices. What does this tell us about the prevalence of activism and the corporate response to the trend? Yeah, so um, activism was up significantly last year. And even the year before that, there were some really major proxy fights, uh, which kind of catalyzed a lot of interest in the subject. Probably the fees from Procter & Gamble alone flowing through the system have got a lot of advisors excited and interested in muscling in in this area. So last year, we wrote about this as a kind of one-off because we felt that there was so much movement, particularly in the middle market banks, which were setting up new practices to defend companies. And this year, there has been at least as much movement and we think it makes sense to keep this feature going and keep detailing what's going on in the advisory space. You still have the banks interested in getting into this area. Uh, Jeffries lured Chris Young away from Credit Suisse, which in turn meant Credit Suisse hiring Christopher Ludwig from within their own ranks to run their activism defense practice. Houlihan Loki has been without a head of activism for some time. They're now focusing more on the defense with Mark Mikulitz. Goldman Sachs had a little bit of a reorganization. Molis and co have brought in some new talent. Uh, so there's, there's plenty of movement on the advisory front, and that kind of extends to proxy advisory firms, investor relations firms. Activism has become such a a hot topic and I think a key skill um, to the extent that not just anyone can do it. Uh, So experience in this sector is really prized. Environmental, social and governance or ESG concerns have become a big topic in 2018. Did we see this translate into the emergence of new advisory roles? Corporate governance advisory is an area that has been kind of gaining ground in the last few years. I think when Camberview started uh, and their acquisition by PJT this year was, or in 2018, was a really significant moment for that industry. They really set the standard for investor-led corporate governance, hiring people from the investor side, using the expertise of ISS and people from ISS going on to corporate advisory was not a new thing. Uh, That goes back 15 or so years. Um, But you've had kind of imitations of that over the last two years. We saw ICR, a communications firm, bringing Lyndon Park to give a kind of advisory on uh, corporate governance and ESG matters. Uh, King & Spaulding hired Richard Fields from Tapestry Network as a kind of go-to advisor on issues like corporate governance and compensation. It is a a hot topic. On the ESG front and 
particularly the kind of environmental and social stuff. You had Alex Higgins come over to Akapi Partners from ISS. You know, the activists themselves have been quite busy in this space as well, with Jana and Value Act hiring people uh, with an expertise in this. And so I think it's something where there is going to be a lot of competition for the relatively small pool of people who know a lot about ESG and how investors relate to it. What about across the Atlantic? Have we seen any changes to the advisory space in the UK or Europe? This is a nice follow-on from the last question in that um, you had two firms, the Terra Partners and Square World Partners, uh, setting up in London. And they really do quite similar things to the governance advisory teams here in the US. They mix some communications, some investor outreach, uh, and some kind of consulting on corporate governance and how various provisions or structures are uh, viewed by investors. So to have those two firms set up pretty much at the same time last year uh, was quite a significant moment and and, uh, I think speaks to the fact that collective engagement and kind of activism in the UK has really hit a high watermark. Thanks for being here, Josh. 2019 could be a major turning point for Mason Morfitt's Value Act Capital Partners. At the start of the new year, the San Francisco-based activists entered two significant board seat agreements with portfolio companies Citigroup and Olympus. This is no small feat considering Morfitt took the helm from Jeff Ubbin less than two years ago. People who have closely observed the fund said Value Act relies on three factors to maintain its influence. One, being the acceptable face of activism. Two, doing research on other shareholders. And three, providing durable capital. A banker told Activist Insight Monthly, They are as long-term as it gets within the activist world. When companies would rather deal with them and index funds believe in them, you know you have a perfect storm, he said. According to Activist Insight Online, ValueX's average holding period in the U.S. is just under four years at companies where it made a public demand. Most recently, ValueX launched its Spring Fund, which deploys a separate pool of capital at companies that have the potential to deliver returns from providing sustainable alternatives to current services. The focus on environmental, social, and governance matters, also known as ESG, has allowed ValueAct to keep its friendly reputation while venturing into a new market. So far, the Spring Fund has made eight public investments and gained board seats at three of them. Occasional activist investor Blue Mountain Capital Management has launched a campaign to replace the entire board of utility company Pacific Gas and Electric. Contending bankruptcy is not the best way to resolve looming liabilities stemming from wildfires in California. PG&E is solvent, Blue Mountain said throughout its campaign to save the Californian utility from bankruptcy. The campaign, which is shaping up to be one of the biggest in 2019, is not a typical activist fight for change, but rather a call to arms in light of a crisis and management's poor response to it. A board installed by Blue Mountain would most likely increase its focus on shareholders' interests, minimizing the chance investors will get wiped out in a bankruptcy. Blue Mountain nominated 13 candidates for election to PG&E's board, including Value Act Capital Management CEO Jeff Ubbin. Blue Mountain believes PG&E stock can again trade around $50 per share with, quote, proper corporate governance and appropriate resolution of liabilities. The firm's stock has lost more than half its value since the November 2018 wildfires, but PG&E still has a market capitalization of $9.5 billion, and its balance sheet looks healthy with total assets of $71.3 billion. 
Blue Mountain argued that PG&E's estimated $30 billion in liabilities do not need to be paid right away and could potentially be reduced to single-digit billions. It's unusual to see existing shareholders hoping to salvage something from the equity of a company in bankruptcy, much less trying to command a seat at the table. However, experts note that bankruptcy allows the company to consolidate litigation into a single forum and move things along faster. If the new board exits bankruptcy, PG&E will go back to defending itself in state courts all over California instead of dealing with just one single court. At the same time, transferring the myriad of disputes to a single court could lead to delays and additional expenses in litigation. So while there are some benefits to filing for Chapter 11, shareholders like Blue Mountain believe a company is more valuable outside of bankruptcy. Carousel Capital Management has been watching chipmaker Qualcomm closely over the last few years and decided to short the stock in late January as the company anxiously awaits a court decision that could significantly alter its business model. The U.S. chipmaker has had a hectic few years marked by a court battle with Apple, a hostile bid from rival Broadcom, and litigation initiated by the Federal Trade Commission over the firm's current licensing practices. The FTC sued Qualcomm in January 2017 for alleged anti-competitive behavior utilizing a practice called No License, No Chips. The government agency argued that Qualcomm has been charging smartphone makers unfair licensing fees for its standard essential patents, which power the mobile internet. Qualcomm contends that competition has not suffered, pointing out that Apple easily moved away from its chips to Intel's. Carousel, however, believes Qualcomm will lose the FTC lawsuit, claiming the setback, quote, will reset its long-term earnings power far lower. Under the potential ruling, the company will receive a fraction of the royalties for each smartphone shipped because the amounts will be calculated from the price of a modem, not from an entire device as before. Carisdell said its thesis is not simply a bet on the result of the suit. Carisdell will remain short throughout the inevitable appeals, Chief Investment Officer Sam Adranji told activists Insight Monthly. Whatever the decision, Carisdell believes the lawsuit is, quote, the final nail in the coffin of Qualcomm's business model. Qualcomm's licensing business has already suffered following Apple's decision to not pay royalties amid an ongoing court dispute. Licensing income has since dropped from $7.6 billion in fiscal 2016 to just $5.1 billion in 2018. And Carisdell says it could drop by another 50%. Shares in Qualcomm dropped 15% over the past 12 months as of March 4th. But Carisdell says the firm has not hit rock bottom yet. And now, for a couple of stories that didn't make it into the magazine. Elliott Management is taking on Europe with recent investments in France, Portugal, and the Netherlands. Paul Singer's activist hedge fund disclosed a 2.5% stake in French spirits maker Pernod Ricard in December. Since then, the shareholder has pushed for improvements to margins and corporate governance. Specifically, Elliott highlighted concerns about the Ricard family's influence and a lack of independence on the board. The activists also said there is a 5 percentage point gap between Pernod Ricard's margins and British peer Diageo's. Elsewhere, Elliot revealed a holding in Portuguese electricity operator Energias de Portugal. The omnipresent activist said it opposed a bid by large shareholder and state-backed Chinese group China Three Gorges to acquire EDP. 
Elliott instead proposed a standalone plan with several tweaks to the utilities strategy and portfolio. Elliott most recently disclosed a 6.1% investment in Dutch asset management company Intertrust. However, the activist did not reveal its plans for the firm. Elliott also faces a board battle with Vivendi at Telecom Italia later this month. Elliott previously won control of TIM's board last year in a battle against the French media group, which is a top shareholder of Telecom Italia. Since then, Vivendi has criticized Elliott's strategy for the firm. Vivendi wants the telecommunications giant to retain control of its network while Elliott believes the company should separate its fixed-line network, evaluate market consolidation options, and consider converting its saving shares. Dollar Tree executives have indicated their reluctance to sell the firm's family dollar business, despite pressure from activist investor Starboard Value to do so. Jeff Smith's activist fund disclosed a 1.7% stake in Dollar Tree in January, demanding board representation in a sale of the struggling family dollar business. The activist believes the discount retailer should jettison the struggling unit and focus on profitable elements of its business instead. Fellow activist Carl Icahn, who pushed for a deal between Dollar Tree and Family Dollar in 2015, has exited the stock. Dollar Tree acquired Family Dollar for $8.5 billion in cash and stock three years ago. The discount retailer has since struggled, largely because it took on too much debt to finance the deal, making it difficult for Dollar Tree to invest in its 15,000 stores. Nonetheless, management and the board indicated they are willing to fight Starboard and fix the family dollar business. That's all for this month's episode of the Activist Insight Podcast. If you like what you hear or want to read more, you can subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at activistinsight.com. For comments or questions about the podcast, or if you want something discussed on a future episode, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening. <laughs>